Many years ago, when my husband and David and I were first dating, I got invited to go to the beach with him and his family. They had a long-standing tradition. It had been going on for at least 25 years, where the Dillons and two other families that the Dillons had been college friends with would go to the beach together for two weeks. This was a long-standing tradition, and I knew it was a big deal for me to be invited. I knew it meant that they were going to be checking me out. They wanted to make sure that I was worthy to be with David. So you can imagine my surprise and chagrin when the first night as we were about to sit down to dinner, Mr. Bratton said, well, Carol, why don't you say the prayer? You're a preacher. I didn't feel put on the spot at all. And honestly, I don't remember what I said, but I do know that my prayer was more about impressing them and making a good impression than it was really about thanking God for the food. Maybe you've been in that situation too. Maybe someone said, well, you're a churchgoer, you're a Christian, or whatever it may be. Why don't you say the prayer? And there you are, having to pray in front of all these people. Didn't Jesus say we're not supposed to do that, right? Well, of course, we all pray together. We pray publicly from time to time. But I think in moments like that, we realize we're not experts in prayer. People may assume that because I'm a pastor, I'm an expert in prayer. I mean, I have been to some prayer workshops. In fact, I've led a couple of retreats about prayer. But I wonder if, if I were to ask you, don't raise your hands, but if I were to ask how many of you feel like you're an expert in prayer, if any hands at all would go up? I know mine wouldn't. And if I were to ask you how many of you are satisfied with your prayer life, I imagine very few, if any, hands would go up. I know mine wouldn't. Because even though I pray and I practice different kinds of prayer, I still feel like a novice, but I have so much to learn. And there's such a deep hunger within me to pray in a deeper way, to commune with God more deeply. And I don't give as much time as I would like to practicing prayer and growing in prayer. So maybe all of us have that hunger. Maybe all of us feel like we have something to learn, a lot to learn about prayer. And so it's a wonderful thing that Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, takes time to teach his disciples how to pray. When you pray, he says, not if you pray, but when you pray, do this or do not do this. The first part of his teaching is all about that experience I had with David's friends and family. When you pray, make sure it's not about you and that you're not trying to impress other people. Make sure you're not heaping up all of these words to show people how eloquent you are and how deep your faith is. Pray like nobody else is watching. Go into your room by yourself and pray to God in secret. And when Jesus says this, he's encouraging us to remember that it's Prayer is all about our relationship with God. It's not a show. And if our hearts are going to be right with God when we pray, we need to pray like nobody else is watching. And Jesus seems to be saying that prayer really is a private, personal thing that we ought to do by ourselves. But then, 
when we get to this next part of Jesus' teaching, we realize prayer is not an individual thing at all. The next thing he says is, when you pray, pray like this. And then he offers us this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. And we pray it every week together. And the opening phrase is, Our Father. Every first-person pronoun in this prayer is plural. It's not my Father. It's not my petitions. It's not just me and God. It is a prayer that invites us to remember when we utter these words, we are praying alongside every other person that has ever cried out to God. It is our prayer, and we are connected with the body of Christ, with the body of believers, every time we pray, whether it's here in the sanctuary or alone in our rooms behind a closed door. Pray like this, Jesus says, our Father. In these opening two words, Jesus sets up a relationship. Now, I know that father is a problematic term for many folks, either because it's a gendered term or because our relationships with our own earthly fathers have been problematic and it feels like a stumbling block. But I don't want to throw out this word because we miss what Jesus is offering us, the gift that he's offering us by saying our father. The word that he uses for God is not a a third-person, impersonal word, like, oh, that person over there is a father. It's the word Abba. It's a name that a child would have called their father in Jesus' day, like Daddy, Papa. It's a relationship word. So if you find the word father problematic for you, maybe search for another word that expresses that relationship with God. Jesus starts us off naming that first and foremost, this prayer, this practice of prayer is about communing with a God who loves us and chooses us and nurtures us and holds us. It is a relationship of complete love and trust. Now, I'm going to move us through this prayer, and it's going to be fast because it's a communion Sunday, and it's only one Sunday we get to study this prayer. Reverend Stacy suggested we do a whole sermon series on it because it is worth pondering and chewing on and praying in depth and slowly. I want to invite us not to take this prayer for granted, not to just say it by rote because it's what we do, but to recognize that by giving us this prayer, Jesus is teaching us about how prayer can shape us and change us, and we will never plumb the depths of this prayer. So will you go with me a little bit further? Our Father, we have named this loving relationship that connects us with God and with all people everywhere. And then the next several phrases are all about God. Naming our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer starts off asking that God's will would be done, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And if we pray this again and again with our hearts, it cannot help but shape how we live and move in the world. 
If we're praying for God's will to be done, we're going to live in the world looking for what God's will might be. What is God's will for the earth? And as I ponder that, what does that mean for how I shop, how I eat, how I deal with my resources and treat the earth? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What does God's kingdom look like? What is God's will for the poor and the vulnerable? And if I'm praying for God's will and for God's kingdom, I can't help but go back out into the world and do everything I can to build God's kingdom and join with God in that work. And so this whole first part of the prayer is orienting ourselves to God's presence, God's goodness, and God's will. And then we finally get to ask for something. The first petition of the prayer. And what is it? God, please give me everything I need for the rest of my life. No. God, please give me everything I want on my list just right now. No. God, give us this day our daily bread. This is not just a request for me and mine. It is for all. God, may this day everybody have enough. May there be enough bread for all of us. And if I'm praying that prayer with my heart every day, how can that not shape how I share and how I consider my own resources and my own bread? Give us this day not tomorrow, not down the road, but just today, my daily bread, our daily bread. God, give me enough for today and give enough for today to everybody so that my well-being is tied up with everybody else's well-being. Then we get to make another request. Forgive us our trespasses. Not just forgive me, although it's important to name and claim our own sins and our own brokenness and ask God for forgiveness, but what about our corporate sins? Our prayer of confession today confesses our sins as a church, how we have failed to be the church God wants us to be, to confess our sins as a society, as a nation, as a world, as a human race. Forgive us our trespasses. And oh, how I wish that ended with a period. But it doesn't. It's not even a semicolon. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Jesus, at the end of the prayer, goes back and reiterates it. For unless you forgive others their trespasses and their debts, your Father in heaven will not forgive you yours. Wow, that our forgiveness of others is tied up with receiving forgiveness ourselves? Perhaps it's saying if we are not able to forgive those who have harmed us and wronged us, if we're not able to show mercy and grace, there's no room in our hearts to receive God's grace and mercy for ourselves. 
And so we pray this prayer and we can't just ask forgiveness for ourselves. We have to be shaped into forgiving people and merciful and gracious people if we pray this prayer by heart. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And now as we come to this last part of the prayer, as we just take a minute to look at it, you may know this part of the prayer has been in the headlines in recent years. Pope Francis has offered a different translation. What we usually say is, lead us not into temptation. And he's offered a translation that, because he believes, and I agree with him, that our God does not intentionally lead us into temptation or into harm, but is with us, goes before us, around us, and behind us in our lives. And so he offers the translation, save us from temptation, rescue us from the time of trial. This is the only petition in the whole prayer that's about the future. Oh God, as we head into the future, please be with me and strengthen me and give me courage to resist temptation when it comes or to remain strong when I walk through trials and suffering. You can take time to ponder that phrase yourself as you pray it this week. Now this last part that we pray together on Sunday mornings is not part of the prayer that's in the oldest manuscripts of Matthew. It was added in later years. But I, I love the fact that we say together, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, that this ending the ancient church added to this prayer lifts us back up to the glory and presence of God. The prayer begins with God's holiness and ends with God's holiness. And we sing a doxology together at the end. Oh, there's so much to say about this prayer. It's just a few verses long, but it's a tremendous gift that Jesus has given to us. And so I want to invite you, my friends, as we pray this prayer together at the end of communion, we're going to do it a little differently to invite us to ponder it a little further. Take it with you this week. Pray it phrase by phrase. Maybe write in your journal what each phrase means to you. Never let this prayer be prayed just by rote, but may it be prayed by heart.